This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives online. I'm Sarah Tasker and this is episode 74. Hello friends, thank you for joining me again. I have a really wonderful conversation I want to share with you this week. It's with Annabelle Hickson, who is an Aussie I had the pleasure of meeting when I was down under last year for the My Open Kitchen gathering and we ran a photography and styling and just general faffing workshop together, which was so much fun. When I called Annabelle for this conversation, it was during my summer of burnout. I was feeling really flat. I definitely wasn't connected to my enthusiasm. And I remember as I placed the call that morning and it was evening her time, really struggling to kind of get myself going and feel like I was in the zone. But Annabelle was the most fantastic way of beautiful Australian sunshine. And by the time we finished this conversation, I was feeling so much better. I was uplifted and I was enthusiastic. And that was such a gift to me in those very difficult months. Annabelle describes herself in this episode as an accidental florist, which I love, but I also think it probably doesn't give her enough credit. She has this unique way of being positive and really determined to find the good in life. And I think it's that, which has meant that she's been able to turn her hand to all of the opportunities that life and social media have thrown into her path and turn them into something amazing. She's also a podcaster, a photographer, an educator, and an author, and I guess a farmer, Well, you can listen and you decide. And her book, A Tree in the Home, is beautiful. I have it on my table right now and it deserves to jump to the top of your Amazon wish list. I hope this episode brings you the same joy it brought me. Hi, Annabelle. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Sarah. It is so lovely to be hearing from you all the way over there in Oz. It's very lovely to be hearing from you too. It's quite amazing sitting in my freezing cold kitchen, you know, as as the sort of autumn night draws to a close and you're over there in, in summer yeah, in England. It's spring wonderful. Morning. It's great to speak to you. Yes. Um, could you, for anyone who's not come across your work so far, could you give us a quick introduction to all the things that you do? Absolutely. So my name is Annabelle Hickson and I live on a pecan farm in the middle of nowhere in Australia. And I, well, originally I was a newspaper journalist, but now I'm probably, what I do with most of my time is floristry stuff. But I really want to stress that I'm an accidental florist. I've had no training whatsoever. And I actually don't even think you need any. And that's probably what I do the most. But I also still do a bit of writing and photography and organise workshops. And I do a podcast too. Yes. I love that you have the same kind of job title as me, which is like (laughs) it needs three sentences at least. Yeah. I know the elevator pitch is kind of tricky, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) So accidental florist, let's start there. How does one accidentally become a florist? Well, it really was an accident. So, I mean, I, I, I did grow up in a beautiful house and mum was always very into gardening. So I guess I was always surrounded by that. But as a child, I had no interest whatsoever in gardening, in flowers, in creating beauty. And I think it was just because it was already there all around me and I didn't have to do anything. Um, but then, you know, as I grew up in my sort of late 20s, early 30s, I really started feeling this yearning to be surrounded by beauty and it dawned on me that if that was going to happen it was now up to me because you know I was the adult um and so this is I lived um I lived a little bit further west than where I live now um, with my husband who's a farmer I moved out to the country with him and we bought these old weatherboard 
rambling country house and I thought, right, this is it. Let's renovate it and my life will be perfect. Mm. My children will be wearing linen clothes and playing (laughs) with wooden toys and I will be happy forever. Um, And what actually happened was that we got completely lost and stuck in this very costly renovation project and, you know, more money than we could afford. And it was horrendous. It was stressful. I remember one day my daughter's kindy teacher pulled me aside and said, is there anything wrong on the home front? I mean, it was, you know, it was just the opposite of what I had naively Mm. thought. Um, And so that was quite a scarring situation and I mean not, I'm not at all against renovating houses but I mean for anyone who's been in deeper than their budget allows you know they will understand it, it's just it's horrible mm-hmm. um we during this process we would come over to the little pecan farm that we'd started a couple of hours east and we'd come you know and stay in this little tiny really sort of ugly charmless cottage um, and I could vacuum everything from one PowerPoint, you know, super <laughs> tiny and simple. And we were so much happier there than in a, you know, dream house with custom joinery that was meant to make us happy. Um, and it just dawned on us we could actually sell that dream house that was the cause of so much stress and move to this tiny, you know, little nothing, and that's what we did. And from the day we moved there, I knew I'd made the right decision. You know, we were in charge of our finances again and, even though we didn't have any money, I was happy. And because I was happy, I was I started to look outwards, you know, instead of always in, in, in. And when I looked out, I saw all these amazing things growing on the side of the road, the gum leaves, the poppies, the fennel. I mean, it's, it's this beautiful, harsh but beautiful valley where we live. And, um, yeah, so I didn't because I didn't have any money to do anything to the house to make it beautiful and to sort of meet that yearning I had for beauty, I just started bringing in stuff that I'd chopped off from the side of the road and it was incredibly empowering because all of a sudden I was surrounded by this affordable compostable splendor you know you could just make the room feel so alive and so gorgeous with all this natural stuff and then you know once I started I couldn't stop so so I really did accidentally fall into floristry and I I mean I even hesitate to use the word florist because that sounds like it's a thing that you need training for and and my experience at least has been that you don't need training and you know lots of the flowers and the foliage they're so beautiful they've already done the work for you and by you bringing it inside you don't really have to do much more than plonk it in a vase to get a really great feeling of satisfaction and beauty and comfort from it. In my head, there's kind of two types of florists. There's the more traditional kind of florist that maybe a lot of people still think of that that would do like funeral flowers, um, like a very perfect posy that you might buy. Um, And then there's this kind of wild romantic florist that I definitely would associate with you, with someone like Fiona, who did my wedding. Um, Absolutely. And I feel like Instagram's played a huge role in kind of the spread of of that kind of work. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You see, yeah, it's it's really common, isn't it? I mean, it's not even the new wave of floristry. It's 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 sort of the the status quo really, this lovely wild stuff which I just adore. Um yeah, I agree with you. There are two types of florists, but also too there's I mean 
florists are amazing. They're almost like chefs, you know. They have to work with perishable materials and schlep to events and, you know, there's a lot of logistics Mm. and things like that, which I have an enormous amount of respect for and I have absolutely no idea how to do any of that. I'm more (laughs) of a a home cook, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm only sort of doing floristy stuff for me or for my friends. So, yeah, it's a very different thing than being a professional event florist. But you have a book. Well, I have a book, yes. So you're definitely like, official. <laughs> you know, like home cooks write books. I thought, well, there there could be a lot that's useful for people who don't want to be professional event florists, who just want to enjoy flowers at home. And so that's why I wrote I wrote a book called A Tree in the House. And it's it's basically my quest of how to make it look as though there's a tree growing in my house. And I just thought it brought me so much joy. It might bring other people so much joy, even if they have no desire whatsoever to do it on a professional basis. But I don't know how anyone could hear your story and not feel inspired to go and uh, raid the hedgerows and start bringing stuff into their house because uh, yeah. I think all of us can relate to that feeling of of not being in the perfect space, not having the perfect life from the magazine that maybe we thought we were going to have and actually... There's something so inspiring about the way that you found yourself in that situation and then kind of just dug your way out of it. Well, that's it. And do you know what has been the amazing thing? That the best thing about it isn't even the aesthetic result. You know, that's what I thought it would be. But actually, as I've sort of gone on and really, you know, become quite obsessed with all this, (laughs) the real, the, the primary amazingness that has happened is not the beauty necessarily that I've created, but just by going out there and picking things on the side of the road, it's actually just noticing the natural world around me. And that's kind of way more satisfying than anything in a vase. It's it's really helped me to pay attention to the sort of greater natural world. And I think I was kind of quite cut off from that up until the mm. last few years. You know, I mean, especially in my 20s, I was working in the city. And, you know, I just never really thought about the natural world. And it's just been this incredible joy. It's almost like I've rediscovered it, and um, even though it's been there the whole time. But th- that ha- has been incredibly satisfying. And there's something, you know, about it. It's so much bigger than me, so much yeah. bigger than us. Just because now I'm looking at the world through this flower filter, I just notice all this stuff that was passing me by before. And it's 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 definitely made my life a lot richer. I really believe like as humans, we are supposed to be connected with that. Like if you think for how many thousands and thousands of years we were so reliant on this information of what nature around us is telling us, and also like the power to make something with just your hands. Like that, that's how we absolutely. Well, I agree with that completely. So there's that brilliant book and I've forgotten who the author is, but he's British. You might know, um, the moth snowstorm. Oh, I don't Um, know. Oh, it's brilliant. And I mean, maybe I've got the title slightly wrong, but if you Google it, you'll get there. Um, and he says, he makes a really good point in it that, you know, it's that only the last couple of generations we've been working in an office and a few before that, that we've been, you know, in, in industrialized, you know, society. And then for sort of 500 generations before that, we've been farmers. And then for what is it? 20,000, gener- you know, whatever, <laughs> yeah. it's a huge amount. We've just been part of nature. So, yeah. I mean, of course, we can't get rid of that that yearning for that connection that quickly. You know, it's 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 in us. And and one of my 
biggest rants that I'm on at the moment is this whole uh, propensity we have as a society now, at least in the Western world, to outsource as much as possible. It's it's almost as if whatever we can afford to outsource, we do, mm. which is fine because there's only a certain amount of time in the day. But I would argue that if you outsource you know, everything, you just become a manager of things and you don't actually get to do anything yourself. And I, through these flowers, have found a lot of satisfaction in using my hands to make flowery things. There's a, there's sort of this dignity in the doing. And, you know, I just, it, playing with flowers might not be for everyone, but, I, you know, I just think we've, we're so quick to outsource and maybe it is good just to stop and think, well, maybe I could try and give this a go myself. Yeah, and that's why people turn to crafts of any kind, I think, like whether it's yes. knitting or um, ceramics or painting. There's a kind of brain state you can get into when you're sitting down with yourself and just creating something, making something that wasn't there before. It has, like, yes, I, I feel like it's like a drug on the brain. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and you know, the actual what it is that you create is not really the point. It's just the act of yes. sitting there doing it. And that is good for you. It's good for you. And actually, like the way you talk about how the floristry made you appreciate and spot things in the world around you, Instagram was exactly the same experience for me. So I think people sometimes think it has to be creation has to be like tangible, but it, yeah, it can yeah, be but it photography. Have to be. Oh, Sarah, I agree with you so much. I mean, when I first got on Instagram, which was maybe six years ago or so, I, my, I had an account called The Dailies and its whole the whole premise of it was to try and document beautiful things that happened just in my everyday, just so that I would notice them more. Um, and it really helped. Like looking at, at life through a lens made me realise that actually there were some really beautiful parts in my life. And when I say beautiful, I don't mean, you know, just aesthetically beautiful, but sort of really satisfying parts of my life. And it, it kind of helped me manage that constant yearning for something else. And the grass is greener that I have, I suffer with big time. I mean, I know lots of people do, but it really helped. And it was just through that, oh, that Mirabelle Osler, the gorgeous garden writer from the UK, she talks about the intensifying effect of a limited view. Mm. You know, if you, if you have um, like a hedge with a window cut out of it and you peer through that window and see the vast vista beyond, it's a much more impactful thing than if you just sort of see the vast vista. And, and I think looking at life, you know, it, through either a limited view, like through the flower filter I was talking about before, or through the lens of a camera, it can really help intensify things and help you actually notice them. There's a quote that I always remember by um, Camille Pissarro, who I know nothing about, except this one quote, <laughs> which is, blessed are those who see beautiful things in humble places where other people see nothing. And that's oh, what Instagram that's gave so me. That's so beautiful. Yes. Yes. Amen to that, Sarah. That's beautiful. And I feel like actually so much of your brand, because you mentioned at the beginning you have the podcast, um, which we need yes. to talk about, because... That again is it's beauty in the mundane. You you kind of yes. you you're not. It's not flashy. It's not showy. It is you sharing your life. Well, you talk about the podcast actually because you can describe it so much better. 
Okay, well, the podcast is called Dispatch to a Friend and it's a, a podcast I do with a friend, a dear friend, um, whose name is Gillian Bell and she lives in Brisbane, which is about four and a half hours away and she makes these incredible wedding cakes and flies all over the world doing amazing things like that and I, you know, as I said, live in this middle of nowhere farm and we write to each other. Um, and we, it, the podcast is actually just simply a recording of us sort of reading our letters to each other. Um, and, you know, it's about gardening and food and things like that. But really, when we sort of stand back and look at it, it's about friendship, just about ordinary friendship, the small minutiae. And, and that's the stuff that really matters, I think. You know, it's not the huge big events where something terrible goes wrong because then so many people can help you. But I get great comfort just from the little ordinary moments. And I sort of have this feeling that when I'm on my deathbed, it'll be those moments that I'll be yearning for, you know, not the big flashy events, just the sort of ordinary every day. Yeah. So that's what we, that's what the whole podcast is about. And it's, yeah, it's really good because, you know, I do, Sometimes I forget that that's the stuff that really matters and I think, oh, you know, I should be striving to be some corporate amazing person or, you know, you know, and then I actually do think maybe these ordinary moments aren't praised enough and, and perhaps by doing that, that is a contribution to society. I don't know. <laughs> I know. I totally agree with you. Like that podcast brings me so much serenity and so much on my playlist is like a business podcast and I'm going to learn and yes. I'm going to like, I've got one that's devoted to combating procrastination and sometimes <laughs> I open my podcast app and, and I'm just like, no, what I need is something like to feed my soul, not feed my brain. Yes. 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 Well, I listen to a load of self-help stuff and things with outcomes and goals, and, you know, and that's <laughs> yeah. great, but it's not the only, you know, well, that's how we are these days, aren't we? Everything is kind of outcome based, but that's, that's not everything. Yeah. And do you find, I mean, you've grown an audience. How big is, is your audience for the podcast? Do you know? Do you know what? I don't, but I could ask my husband who is obsessed with numbers and he's basically the stat man. But well, we don't, don't need don't... numbers, but like I'm guessing no. you make connections through it, right? Like, Well, we do. So, I mean, the the um, the people who have we've connected with through the podcast, they are amazing and they send us letters, they <sighs> write emails to us. They, I mean, even a little thing, we're, we're having a, an excursion to Scotland, a dispatch excursion to <laughs> Scotland. And we just send out a little email on, you know, the people who've subscribed to, you know, on the website for it. And it's sold out in a matter of hours. Um, so I think it's however big our audience is, it's it's engaged and it's loyal. And, it, I mean, I guess it's quite niche. You know, there are some friends who listen to it and they're like, this is this is not for me. This is so boring, <laughs> you know, which is fine. But it's it's the people who love it really love it. Yeah, and it's it's incredibly satisfying. We'd actually love to do more event stuff down the track so we can make these you know these connections face to face. Come to Yorkshire, please. Oh, I'd a dispatch to Yorkshire. I'd love it. You've got a venue. I'm waiting for you. Okay, um, and actually, I think there's something really empowering in knowing that that we can make those connections and that there is interest and connection in sharing kind of the magical every day because it's so yes. easy to fall into the trap whether it's on Instagram of thinking like you need the really stylized or the super photoshopped or the super creatively like challenging yeah. 
photography or whether it's thinking that you know you have to be delivering earth shattering life-changing information yes. in every sentence to have a podcast or whatever it's like that treadmill it sucks so many of us in and it's it's a nightmare to keep up with and I'm speaking from experience yeah. there <laughs> and actually like as humans we connect on on these these shared experiences of real life absolutely yeah and I feel it. like the work you do gives people permission to share that for themselves as well like to put it out there in the world um oh, wow. and hopefully to not feel like they have to be someone that they aren't in order to be successful yes that's right someone more I mean it's a terrible feeling not feeling like you're quite enough and and I'm, I'm really sure everyone feels that so it's quite universal really yeah yeah and you can't outrun so, it in my experience like you can get yourself no. more but then you still just feel like you're not you've not got enough no, isn't that the truth? I mean, I wonder if, you know, the Prime Minister of Australia feels that too. Well, I'm certain the, the President of the States <laughs> doesn't feel that. <laughs> no, I don't think he's ever I felt that. Seeing <laughs> yeah. um, as we've hit a pause, I think this would be a good time to talk about what you told me right at the beginning before I hit record about, because um, this is the first interview podcast that we've got out in the world with you, right? Yes, this is the inaugural, this is my uh, podcast debut. Um, which I was really surprised at because knowing your work and, and knowing how easy you are to talk to, I was like, oh, for sure there'll be loads on, I went on the podcast app to check I wasn't like just going to ask you the same questions everyone else always asks. And I was like, where's, where are all of Annabelle's interviews? Um, no, it's because they don't exist. It's because <laughs> they don't exist. So tell me about what happened when you tried to record one with your friend recently. Right. Well, I am very comfortable writing um, and I'm very comfortable chatting, you know, just with people normally. But when it comes to any sort of recorded thing, I freak out. Um, so I, a, a good friend of mine has a podcast called Lit Up, which is a wonderful literary podcast. She's interviewed my hero, Carlo Vaynauskart, who's my very favourite writer in the whole world. I mean, she really, it's a brilliant podcast. And she said she would like to interview me. And I was like, oh, my God, really? I mean, you know, it's like a book on flowers. It's not, you know, exactly going to win any Nobel Prizes. But um, she said, no, she insisted. She said, no, you've got things to say. Come on. So I went over to her house and sat on her couch and she gave me, you know, a microphone and started asking me questions. And I just bombed. I, I bombed. I couldn't talk after every answer. I just said sorry. <laughs> just kind of melted into the couch and start you know went on a weird rant about Marie Kondo and uh, I mean it was just it was just awful and at the end I said and promise me you will not air that Please, you <laughs> I really to want to hear it now <laughs> oh god well, well okay well this is what's interesting because maybe it wasn't quite as bad as I thought it was mm. because after that I was so rattled about how you know I mean I really turned it was quite pathetic um what I turned into it was I haven't experienced that feeling for so long maybe since I was a kid you know anyway I really felt out of my depth so a different friend of mine said right you need to see this woman Andrea Clark she lives in Sydney and she's a, a media advisor and she sort of trains CEOs on how to communicate and things like that and even though I'm not at all corporate my friend said no she she could be very useful so I flew down to Sydney and Andrea sat me down and she got a cameraman to come and he had a camera pointing in my face recording me and she sort of drilled me with interview questions and it was absolutely hideous at first 
But then she made me watch the replay and it was quite interesting. In watching the replay, I could see that I wasn't as bad as I thought I was in my head and it, it was like I was my own worst critic and demon and it was this sort of self-fulfilling thing where I completely freaked myself out, you know, and I sort of hadn't been that bad at first. So it, it was excruciating to start with, but I must admit it did give me a lot of confidence and I thought, oh, well, I've just got to go with it and trust myself that I'm I'm going to be okay. But I've always felt that the speaking me, you know, the, the way you have to sort of speak live, it, the world's just a little bit too fast and I, I yes. really love the pace of the written me. I love that extra time you have just to think about things. And I, I feel like I do a much better job at representing what's inside. Um, and I'm always just a bit behind the eight ball in real time. Oh my God, um, you're you're speaking the contents of my brain. Oh, yes. <laughs> this is exactly real, how I feel. And, and like to the point where if I'm booked for speaking gigs, I normally will say, can it be in conversation? Because if it's me on my own on stage. Yeah then I'm too much in my own head and I feel like everything that comes out isn't good enough. But if it's oh. me with somebody else, and even if that somebody else is shining the limelight on me and asking me questions, because there's someone to like bounce the energy off and there's that, that yeah. just enough pause for me to gather my thoughts, what yes, comes out is so much... Yes, a breather. Yeah, yes. it's so much more articulate and fluent and, yeah, the written me, like if written me is the one who's judging what spoken me is saying. Oh, oh, that's... That's bad because isn't that bad? That would be bad. Yeah, it's bad because written me has really high standards. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, it's like that is not right. (laughs) You do not even mean that. Why did you say that? She's got the red pen. She's like, God, cut this, cut this. Exactly. Uh, No, well, that's it. That's exactly it. So I think it was quite a breakthrough for me to see that the real life speaking me wasn't quite as terrible as the written me had, you know, convinced myself that I was I'm getting really confused with all these me's <laughs> they're all you I, I wish that I'd had this conversation with you um maybe a week ago so this last weekend I'm going to be careful how I talk about this but this last weekend I had booked in with a public speaking coach in London similar to you like I was like I need to I'd rattled myself with that I was like I need to address this and yes. she in her marketing copy she talked about how she would like help me get to the deeper issues about what was causing it and help me like own my voice and it sounded perfect yeah and I got there and it was way more woo-woo than I am I'm a very scientific person I need to hear the woo-woo like give me an example <laughs> um, of how it was woo-woo. she lay me down on a oh. couch and sang notes over me sound healing notes and burped she was burping and belching over me and speaking in in tongues in a made-up language because they were messages from the spirits about why I couldn't do public speaking holy moly (laughs) and like none of this was in the sales copy and she came recommended and she'd been reviewed by like a magazine that I really really like respect uh, yeah, and I, I like the people pleaser in me came out, so I was there going, yeah, yeah, thanks. No, I yes. feel, yeah, I feel like my... I uh... feel so much more clear, <laughs> <laughs> so much clearer. And oh, then I just dear. left. Uh, um, yeah, I feel like maybe, 
the media training was more useful <laughs> by the sounds well, of it. That's very funny. <laughs> well, the proof will be in the pudding, Sarah. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, you go. You never know those burps. <laughs> I know. Maybe I should wow. apologise to anyone who um, who holds this belief sacred. Maybe maybe for some people it works, but I, I'm such a scientific non-woo person that yes, it was never going to be right for me. Um, yes. And actually, like this conversation has been more helpful because it is, it is <laughs> a difference when you're a writer, when you identify as a writer, words and sentences and the way you express yourself is so meaningful and important to you. And real life is never going to be able to compare. No, and you just do yourself a disservice. Well, that's how it feels. Unless you're Catelyn Moran, oh, who yeah. just seems to be able to speak just like as clearly writes. and quick, you know, as she writes, she's, yeah. you know, there are those freaky people who can do it all, but I, I'm not naturally one of them. And I guess like, that's why the internet is such a great space for people like us, because we can, Absolutely. everything is written. All our communication is written. Absolutely. I mean, really this, the Instagram, it's, uh, I feel like it's a place where I could just shine. Yeah. You know, it, it was much more so than at a party or, you know, when you sort of traditional, yeah, I really, it, it's it's very well suited for people who like beautiful things and people who like to write, I think, is yes. better for us. Yes. And well, I talk about this idea of like a webtrovert. So there's introverts who um, are drained by communicating with others and refilled by being on their own. There's extroverts yes. who are refilled by being with other people and are drained by being on their own. So I think there's yes. also webtroverts where we oh. refill by communicating with people who are not in the room with us. Oh, I agree so much, so much with that. And it's like, why, please, why is anyone calling me? Why would you call when you can text? <laughs> I don't answer calls. Just, just write. I don't answer calls. Oh, and I've turned my voicemail off because I'm like, I don't know. Just text me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just text. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> oh, well, web traverts unite. Yes, yeah, exactly. What's that, what's that saying? Introverts unite in small groups for short periods of time. <laughs> you know, that like, war propaganda thing. We need one for web traverts. Well, and it's kind of our era, right? Like before the internet, I feel like we were at a disadvantage. There was, unless you were just going to write letters to the world and have lots and lots of pen friends, there wasn't really a yeah. space for I us. I know, that's it. Unless you were just going to do an Emily Dickinson and just never leave your room and just write, <laughs> you know, have these amazing written relationships with people who you will never actually see in real life. You're Which right, sounds that's... quite romantic. No, yeah. Well, it does. I mean, I have great sort of sympathy for how she chose to live her life. I thought that sounds wonderful, really. Emily I mean, Dickinson you know, was the original webtrovert. She was the original web tribute. I mean, to the extreme. Yeah. <laughs> yes. She needs to be, she can be on some of our like marketing material. Yeah, exactly. Like the icon of our <laughs> kind of logo. <laughs> um I don't know where to go now. <laughs> I feel we've peaked. This is this is beautiful and perfect. Um but but you do do stuff in real life, like face to face, because you enjoy the workshops and the gatherings, right? Yeah, I do do stuff in real life. I, yeah, I do do stuff in real life. And I I love it um, up to a point. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's, I, I mean, I think it's really important to, to these relationships that you make online, unless they do make the leap over into, you know, real life, they're, they're limited in their depth, 
I think. Um, so, you know, Gillian, who I do the podcast with, we met on Instagram, really. And I, I mean, I always think of Instagram as being this wonderful platonic Tinder, you know, <laughs> where you can really meet people who you're very well suited to. And we got on very well there, but it, that's that pales in comparison to the relationship that we have now, where she's basically an auntie to my children and she feels like a sister to me. And, you know, that, I mean, that is, I think, where the real satisfaction comes. But I see things, you know, social media as the sort of the gateway to get you to these people. And yeah. it's, yeah, it's a very good tool, but it's by no means the end. You and I have met in real life. Uh, it was like a year ago, exactly yes. a year ago, yes, at the, exactly. my open kitchen gathering. And uh, yeah, I'd known you online, like come across yes. you various times online, but it was being in the same room as you and just connecting with your energy. And I was like, oh, I want her to be my best friend. Like, Yes. Well, that's uh, the feeling is mutual, Sarah. <laughs> exactly. Like these, these, it's really important to take things on, you know, uh, offline into real life. But obviously then you're limited by time and geography. And, you know, I would love to live around the corner from you and we could have a cup of tea every week but that ain't gonna happen so it's you know it is trickier and online can you know be a great sort of substitute for those that can't actually happen and how do you find the events kind of energy wise like are you more of an introvert I know you've been doing a lot of book events and I found that like thrilling and I loved meeting people but it was also exhausting well, I think it's exhausting. I mean, if to not be exhausted by event after event, I truly believe you have to be not only an extrovert but a narcissist. <laughs> I mean, just to keep being the centre of attention and to keep mm. talking about, you know, it's it's, it's very odd. Um, so I do – well, I mean, it was so satisfying and fun and quite amazing to see – real life people actually wanting to buy my book because you know as you know it's quite a solitary thing writing you sit alone writing alone and it's all very private and it's just in your head and and it was quite amusing in a way to see it actually out there in other people's hands I mean that that was that was really satisfying. Actually, my most favourite part of the whole process of this book selling was when I, at, in the early days, opened up a sort of temporary online store and sold books, you know, copies of the books online. And but people just went mental and so many orders came in, so much so my mum and dad who were just up on a holiday, I said, I'm sorry, the holiday needs to stop. Dad was in charge <laughs> of dispatches to the post office. Mum was rapping. I was, you know, admin. But it was wonderful because people wrote notes of what they wanted written in the book, whether Mm. they were present for them or for their friends. And that was such a shock to me that this private thing was now being, it was now someone else's thing. And I, I really enjoyed that part. I really enjoyed that part. But the other events, like the workshops, sometimes I teach flower arranging classes and things like that. And the, the way it works is always before the class I'm filled with dread and I think <laughs> I am people have paid good money to watch me twiddle a few bits of grapevine together and make a wreath you know and that's it and I think this is not enough I mean that's how I like my wreath so it's you know I'm not being lazy it's I like yeah. it quite simple yeah. and wild but I think this I don't this isn't enough this is awful then I do it and while I'm teaching, you know, there'll always be some people smiling and nodding and encouraging and then there'll be most of the people blank, frustratingly blank faces. <laughs> think, oh, my God. They what hate me. <laughs> and then there's, you know, someone who's asleep or something like that. 
miserable, really, that part. But as soon as that part stops and then people start having a go themselves, I love that because you see people, you know, they have to be a little bit vulnerable doing these things in front of other people Mm. and they get chatting and we all get chatting and by the end we've all swapped phone numbers and planning, you know, reunion classes and I always leave those things on such a high. So it's a real mix, you know, if if I just, if I didn't, if I didn't feel full of dread but keep going, I would miss out on, you know, the feeling of satisfaction at the end. So it's, yeah, it's hard to tell what feelings to push through and what feelings to, you know, stop and listen to. And I, I experience that exact same thing when you're looking at everybody's faces and I, I like call it like resting board face because there's that resting oh bitch God. face, which I don't agree with, but resting board face, which is like people can just be interested, but their face looks like maybe this is the worst thing they've ever heard. Exactly. And because your writing self is out, out there saying, yes. you are the worst thing I've ever heard, That's yes. you project that onto the Totally, like, like they all see it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you're so right, the practical part is when you make human connections one-on-one and then you can bounce off the other person's energy and you're like, oh, yes. actually, like, you're a whole person. You're not my writing self projected in human form. Yeah. And yeah, all of that exactly. doubt goes away and we're able to just immerse ourselves in what's actually, what's really happening. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And maybe it's yeah. good for us. Maybe that's why doing these things is actually good for us because I feel like there's got to be an end point where we can get to the other side of that self-criticism and oh god you'd think so I I mean, let's so. hope or maybe not maybe it never goes away and we just get better at ignoring it well now you that know? my chakras have been cleansed um <laughs> I think I think I'm there <laughs> oh great well well maybe when we do the um dispatch excursion to Yorkshire we can get Miss Woo Woo to come and clean everyone's internal she's not away. she's not coming to my house no way okay, <laughs> So this beautiful book that you've written, where can people find a copy of it? I have one actually right on my piano. I can see oh, it right now. Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, that makes me so happy. Good. <laughs> Good. Um, the book is, well, this is what I've been told. It's available in all good bookstores. <laughs> so if you've got a good bookshop, you better have it. And also at online, you know, online at all the regular big online places. It's, um, yeah, so it's it's been published, you know, in Australia and it's out in the UK and the States and it's getting translated into German and Dutch. Can you believe? <sighs> That's amazing. So there's going to be so trees great. in the house all around the globe. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the ultimate would be, Japan wouldn't it yeah. for a flower I feel like it would work so well in Japan although that you know it's quite minimal ikebana and I think I'm the opposite of minimal it's like the more the better but um <laughs> that would be my dream I think, it's very it though. yeah yeah well that's right that's true yeah I think I think we need um a dispatch to Japan add that to the list please yes that's on the list <laughs> well dispatch can just go anywhere anywhere lovely really oh my goodness yes um, and where else can we find you online? Uh, I'm on Instagram at Annabelle Hickson and I have sort of various websites that are, <laughs> you know, not probably that helpful, but there's AnnabelleHickson.com and then, oh, the dispatchtoafriend.com. That one's good. We got the show notes for the podcast on that. And people can find the podcast just by searching Dispatch to a Friend in the podcast app, right? Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Annabelle, it's been so lovely to talk to you. Oh, Sarah, I couldn't agree more. I I enjoy your company so much. Likewise, please move to Yorkshire.
I've written show notes for everything we've talked about at meandorla.co.uk forward slash podcast 74, where I also include a link to Annabelle's book and all of the things that we've talked about this week. I love, love, love seeing, hearing where you're listening, what everyone's up to while the podcast is keeping you company. So stick it on your stories if you fancy. Give me a tag. I always share as many as I can as well in return. I hope you have a wonderful and inspired week and I will see you soon.